Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we're so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be reading, starting in verse 6. So if you have that, we're going to read right out loud. I'm reading from the New International Version. Just feel free to read out loud with me if you like. I love to hear the reading of God's Word. Starting to read at verse 6, are you ready? Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. Amen. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy and idolater or slander or drunkard or swindler. Would such a man do not even eat? What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked man from among you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It's a lamp, it's a light. I thank you for this great church you are building right here in Alaska. And you're going to use this house to touch this state in a profound way. I thank you for the leadership you have given this house. And I thank you for what you're going to do today. Come on, people, pray in the Holy Ghost. Spirit of the living God, come upon me in power that I might preach your word in such a way that there will be a transformation of life today from the hearing and the responding to your word. Holy Ghost, come. Come in power upon this congregation. Give us ears to hear and a heart to respond and eyes to see. And when we leave, may we know we've heard from you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The enemy wants to rob you. Everybody say rob you. Of your joy, of your power, of your effectiveness as a believer. He wants to rob you of your health. But most of all, he wants to rob you of your faith. And he has a strategy to do it. We get insights about that strategy from this text concerning the tactics of the evil one. What's happening here in this text is a man has come under judgment because he's having an affair with his father's wife. You read that in verses 1 through 5. The tragedy of this is that the church knows about it but they don't do anything about it because they're pretty proud of themselves and their tolerance. The problem is, however, Paul says to him, look, you take this man, you hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his sinful nature may be destroyed and his soul could be saved on the day of the Lord. You say, now, wait a minute, Pastor. Why do they need to do that? Because Paul was concerned about something. The key verse is verse 6. Listen to what he says. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? 
He uses the illustration that is very real here. You take flour and the things that make dough, you put yeast in it, it makes that dough rise. He's saying, now look, sin is a picture of yeast. Yeast is a picture of sin. And he says, look, if you don't deal with this problem in the church, that same evil will begin to affect the people in the congregation. You say, well, pastor, well, that's a pretty heavy thought. No, it's a very biblical thought. It's a biblical thought that Paul knew a lot about because he was a rabbi. He knew the Old Testament frontwards and backwards. He'd memorized the whole thing. And he understood that what was being talked about here is the concept of defilement. He warns them of defilement. You say, well, what in the world is defilement? Well, let's take a look at the Old Testament. If you wrap up the whole Old Testament, you will notice that in the Old Testament, God desires to dwell with his people. But the problem is that he is holy and they're not. So how does a holy God dwell with holy people? I mean, Think about it for a moment. He gives them the law. The very first thing while he's giving them the law, they're worshiping a golden calf. So how does a holy God dwell among unholy people and not kill them all? I believe that God did something in the Old Testament to give them an understanding of his holiness. I call it, it's a phrase I coined, a holy Consciousness. Everybody say a holy consciousness. And this is seen through a lot of things. Number one, it's seen through the tabernacle. If you'll notice how the tabernacle is constructed, there's various places. The, in, the very most holy place, the holy of holies, is the place that only one person a year would go on the day of atonement, and that was the high priest. And if he didn't go in the right manner, he wouldn't come out alive. That's how holy God is. You'll notice that the way it was situated in the center of the people, it was a picture that God wanted to dwell with them. His cloud would come. The fire would come. On and on and on. A second picture of this holy consciousness is the sacrificial system. The life of another for your life. The sacrifice, the blood being spilt of another, an animal, to somehow, some way point to the reality that one day God's own son would die in our place as the perfect sacrifice, making us holy. You'll notice, for example, there was the priesthood. There was the law. Now, what's interesting about the priesthood, if you look at Leviticus 10.10, you'll understand something. It says that the job of the priest was distinguished between the holy and the common, between the clean and the unclean. If you wrap up the entire Old Testament, it's wrapped up in two words, clean and unclean. And the whole nature of God was to somehow keep his people holy or clean. You'll notice, for example, there were temporary and permanent states of uncleanness or defilement. For example, temporary uncleanness came if you touched a dead body or childbirth or diseases or certain diseases or discharges. You'll see all of that in Leviticus 11 and you'll notice the various sins associated with it. You'll also be aware of the fact there was permanent states of defilement or uncleanness. There were certain animals that you could not eat. There were certain diseases that made you unclean, like leprosy and on and on and on. And the way you move from being defiled to being cleaned 
was that you had to go through a ceremony. And the ceremony depended on the state of uncleanness, if it was temporary or permanent. You say, well, pastor, look, we don't live in the Old Testament anymore. We live in the New Testament. And what in the world are you talking about defilement in the Old Testament when I don't read anything in the New Testament about it? Oh, yes, you do. Because what you'll notice is the Old Testament. Everybody listen. This is important for you to understand theologically. The Old Testament is a picture book of the reality of the new. Everything that happens in the old happened in the natural to point to the reality of the supernatural, of the spiritual. And you'll see this with the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 15, verses 11 through 20. I won't read it all, but in verses 19 and 20, he says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what makes a man unclean, but eating what is un with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. He's saying, look, the picture of clean and unclean in the Old Testament was to point to a spiritual reality in the New Testament. It isn't about whether you wash your hands or not, as the Pharisees were so concerned about, or literally what particular food you eat. It's about whether spiritually you're clean or unclean. What's in your heart? What determines defilement is literally one's heart, not the outward. Now, given that, you understand something. There can be people sitting in this auditorium today. They love Jesus, but they've been defiled. And whether they realize it or not, a Christian can be a spreader of defilement if he's not careful. And this is seen in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Here's what it says. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You may have had something happen to you and you have this bitter root and you're not even aware of it, but you're a carrier. Just like somebody carries a disease and isn't aware of it, you become a carrier of defilement. And the people you hang out with all become defiled because there's this bitter root inside your spirit. You'll notice that defilement, the reason the enemy uses it is because it makes a believer ineffective and it sets them up for demonization. You say, how do you, how do you know that? Well, think about it for just a moment. Remember Judas? He was a part of the twelve. He was the treasurer of the group. And you'll notice that he was stealing money. He was defiling himself by theft. In John 13, it's a very interesting passage because now they're having their final communion together just before Jesus was to die and just before Judas was going to betray his master, Jesus. And in verse 8, you see this whole thing transpire. Jesus comes and he's... He starts washing the feet of his disciples, which is a very humiliating kind of thing to do. But he was trying to teach them that the leader of the group is the greatest servant. So he's washing feet. He comes to Peter's feet. And Peter's, you know, proud and arrogant. He says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus in verse says, says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter says, well, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He always had something to say. And in verse 10, Jesus answered. Listen to what he says. A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. 
and you are clean, though not every one of you. And in verse 11, it says, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one of you is clean. So in that group was Judas, who had been defiled by his own actions. Now, here's what happens. You will notice that in the Old Testament, when you would come to the Passover meal, you had to come without being defiled. You'd had to deal with every defilement before you could take Passover. If you didn't, you would be cut off from Israel because you were demeaning and disgracing that sacred ceremony. Now, here Judas is coming to the Passover meal. He's defiled. In fact, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 11 when he talks about communion. He says, examine yourself. He says, don't come without repenting of things that may have happened in your life that week. He takes the communion, Judas does. The moment he does, it says Satan entered him. You see, I believe defilement is a precursor, if you will, to the enemy trying to take control of your life. So if there's anything we do, we need to break defilement off of us. You might say, well, pastor, I don't really understand what this picture of defilement is. Let me see if I can explain it, and I could give you lots of verses, but our time is limited today. Let's suppose I'm standing on the stage, and out from that door, a young lady runs in here screaming at the top of her lungs. We're all shocked. And then there's these guys running after her. They catch up to her, and they vomit on her. They vomit on her. We're all sitting there going, gross city. Then all of a sudden, a crowd of people come marching in. And what they're doing is they're vomiting on each other. And they're having a vomiting party. And we're all going, what is this? Now, as they're doing this, nobody is cleaning up the mess. So here we are. We're sitting in this auditorium. The stench starts just coming across the auditorium. And then it goes out the doors and the bugs outside all here they all, they all smell the smell. And they come in like hordes. And here's what happens. They cover the bodies of these people that have been vomited on. And nobody's knocking them off. Nobody's running away. They're just standing there with these bugs now boring into their skin. And then one by one, they drop. And they fall. And they die. That is defilement, and that's what's happening all over this nation and in churches across America. You say, Pastor, how does that work? How does one become defiled? Well, I want to share three basic areas with you today. I could spend on every one hours giving you story after story of experiences I've had with my people over the last 50 years. But the first way the defilement operates is through relationships. Everybody say it with me. Through what? You see, who you hang out with is important. Who you hang out with will, who, will be who you become. In 1 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul makes it real clear. He says, look, I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And he goes on in verse 11. He says, he says not 
to associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slander or a drunkard or a swindler, with such a man do not even eat. Now you say, wait a minute, what's that all about? You see, if you're in the same family and you're associating with a group of people all the time, sometimes you let your guard down. You know, when you're among pagans, you know that they're doing stupid stuff. But when it's happening right among your own family, sometimes you let your guard down. And before you know it, you're doing the same stupid stuff they're doing. Because you have some people saying, well, it's okay we do this. It's okay we do that. No big deal. And so Paul says, look, I'm making it real clear to you. If anybody's doing these kinds of things and they call themselves a brother, you don't associate with them, period. First Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. He said, well, Jesus hung out with sinners and publicans. Yes, he did, and he got them saved. If you're going to hang out with them, they better become like you or you're going to become like them. And if they ain't becoming like you, you have no business hanging out because you'll end up like them. In fact, Paul makes it very clear about a number of things. And one of the things he says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, he says, look, keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. You go, now wait a minute. What's he saying? He's saying if there's somebody in your church, we're not talking about somebody who's retired or somebody who can't find a job or who is ill and can't work. We're talking about somebody who can't work, chooses not to work and hang out and just be idle. He says, don't even associate with them because you're going to end up with the same spirit. Whoa. See, we don't understand the supernatural. We're that dumb. We see things only in the natural. We don't see the spirits that are behind what's going on in people's lives. If you did, you'd freak out. If for a moment God parted the curtain between this reality and that which is very real, the supernatural, you would never be the same again. man in my church in Maui fell away from God for years. Years. His life was a mess. He decided to serve the world and serve his greed and serve his own lusts. His family broke up. He was a businessman. He did very well for himself. About two or three years ago, about two years ago now, on a Wednesday night, he showed up at the church. He'd been gone for over 25, 30 years. I couldn't, I didn't recognize him. He came to the front to pray. And as he was walking back to his seat, the Holy Ghost said, that's, and he gave me the name of the person. I said, no way. It was him. You know what his story was? He was laying in bed one night and a sign came across him that said, you have lost everything. And all of a sudden, his spirit left his body and he was dangling over hell. And he said, this is where I'm going. And it was so real to him. 
He cried out to God. God brought his spirit back into his body. And when he awoke, for the first time in his life, he realized the reality of what's beyond. This is not some little religious game you play. It's the issue of life and death. And he came to Christ and repented, but his, he was so shaken by that one moment of seeing what was real. His life has never been the same. You listen to me, please. You don't hang out. You don't hang out with people that aren't obeying God's word. There was a fellow in my church. The Bible says in Titus 3.10, if there's a divisive person in your church, you warn them once, you warn them twice, then have nothing to do with them. You say, why? Because division produces division. There was a guy in my church. He was thought he was, he was everything. He thought he was a prophet. He was a false prophet. And oh, yeah, he, he'd just do stupid stuff. And I said, that's enough. You're not going to do that again. Well, he went and did it again. I said, you're out of here. I kicked him out of church. You know, he, you know where he got his prophecies from? He was smoking pot in his van, and he'd get revelations. Right, but it wasn't from the Lord. Oh, well, what's wrong with that? Are you dumb or something? Listen to me. The word in the Greek language is pharmakia. It's the word for witchcraft. We get pharmacy from it. Drugs was common usage in ancient times. It was a means to contact spirits, evil spirits. And you're sitting around smoking on something thinking, oh, it just makes me feel good. You don't know what you're doing. Then you come to church and think everything's cool and your brain cells are dying. Your initiative is dying. Everything about your life is going crazy. And you wonder, what's wrong? I'll tell you what's wrong. You need somebody to slap you upside the head. Well, I said my piece. I'm leaving now. <laughs> you don't know what you're playing with. So you got anybody left in your church? Yes, I do. Listen, I've only had to do one time turning someone over to Satan. As a man, soon after I became the pastor, I came to a little church of 100 people. He was the head board member. He was committing adultery, and I didn't know it. My wife had a word of knowledge. She said, he's committing adultery. I said, no way. He's so spiritual. She was right. So I had to do what the Bible says for you to do. Matthew 18, I went to him. I confronted him. He said, I'm not going to change. So I went back with two or three. He threw us out of the house. So I went. I didn't, they don't teach you how to turn somebody over to Satan in Bible school. So I had a board meeting, and I stood in that board meeting. I said, I don't know how to do this, God, but I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to turn this fellow over to Satan. And I prayed. I, I removed the anointing. You understand something. You come under this house. You come under a canopy of anointing. You're going to get blessed just by being here. This is, listen, I don't know what you know about church, but the church is God's house. He invented, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. You're a part of the church. You're under a great anointing. We removed that anointing. I said, you will not come back to this church. 
until you repent. We've turned you over to Satan. Within a week, he got an incurable disease. The doctor said, you're going to die. In two weeks, he came and repented. I've only had to shake the dust off my feet once. I don't want to do it again. But a couple in my church were acting stupid. I can't even believe you had stupid people that come to church at times. And so I went to help them. They didn't want help. I was leaving their house, and God said, take your shoes off and shake the dust off. I said, oh, okay. I was so concerned for them that I went down the street to a pastor friend of mine and said, please, follow up on this couple. I can't have them in my church anymore. God told me to shake the dust off. I did. But you can help them. You go help them. Their business fell apart. Their marriage fell apart. Their life fell apart. Listen, you don't play with God. Are you hearing me? You don't play with God. He's holy. We're not. So we need to live holy. Are you hearing me? I've only had to do that twice. Thank Jesus. There's thousands of people in, in our church, and I only had to do it twice. Somebody say glory to God. You say, well, what about this relationship thing? Well, let me tell you what it is. You see, relationships create attitude. Attitude is a way of seeing. It's a way of seeing. So when you hang out with people that have a bad attitude, all you're doing is ingesting their bad attitude. And you don't even know you're doing it. I know this firsthand because it happened to me. When I was in college, I played football in college. And on the days I didn't play, like if I didn't play on Friday night, I'd go down. I was 17 years old in college playing ball. I'd go down to Huntington Beach, California, and I'd witness on the street. So I'd witness on Saturday night if I played on Friday night. And if I played on Friday night, I'd witness Saturday night. And while I was down there, a group took over a, a, a ministry that was there. It was a, a teen challenge coffee house. That's when coffee houses were big back in 1967. And so this family came into this coffee house. They took it over. And so I, I went there and worked out of that coffee house, witnessed the people. And, and boy, these guys were radical for Christ. Oh, man. They were so radical that, you know, when people line up to go see a movie, they'd stand out there with a placard on. They were, I'm, I'm, this is real. They'd put a placard and they'd say, repent or burn. And then they'd preach to them while they stood in line. And they, were, they, were, they memorized scripture like you can't believe. And they were always talking about, are you doing the will of God? And I thought, wow, these guys are really on fire. But after being with them for a while, I didn't realize I was ingesting something because they had this idea they were the only spiritual people on the block. Everybody else were hypocrites. Everybody else weren't really, really Christians. And, and I'll never forget, my mom had come from the Philippines to, to drive over to see my brother in Texas, and I went with her, and, 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 and we were driving into Dallas, and a guy was coming out of a church and I didn't know the guy, nor did I know the church. And I turned to my mom and I said, look at that hypocrite. I didn't even know the guy. But I, this, there was an infusion into my spirit of this criticism of people. 
I'm sure my mama prayed her ears off. That's why I'm still alive today. But when I got back to California, the Holy Ghost began to speak to me. And he spoke to me in an unusual way. He said, son, I want you to look at James chapter 3. I turned to James. Turn there with me, would you, for just a moment. He said, I want you to read, starting to read there at verse, uh, what is it, 15 or so. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Verse 14, I guess. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come, from, come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. This group that I was with began to invade churches. I never went with them. But they would come into a church like this. They would sit near the front. And then when the preacher got up to preach, they'd stand and start rebuking the preacher and telling everybody he's a phony, he's a hypocrite, and began to tell everybody in the church you're hypocrites. Then they'd go out and they'd pick at that church. They did that throughout Southern California. I'm reading this, and it goes on to say now, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And here's what the Holy Ghost said to me. He said, what kind of wisdom do they have? That was what he asked. I said, is it wisdom from above or is it wisdom from beneath? I read it again. I said, well, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving. No, they're not peace-loving. They're not considerate. They're not submissive. They're not full of mercy. Uh, they're not peacemakers. They're everything but. He said, where's, where's their, where's their, where's their uh, wisdom coming from? I said, well, wait a minute, God. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You, God, hello. They know the word. They're into, they're into doing your will. Only problem with their will, they, they had a problem with me because I went to college and they felt all education was of the devil. He said, get away from them. I said, but look, there's one thing I don't understand. You said, that group will find disorder in every evil practice. He said, get away from them and do it now. Well, I did. I obeyed him. That group, their names were Teens for Christ. They left California because they thought back in 1968 it was going to fall in the ocean. And so they, uh, they went to Arizona. They changed their name for Teens for Christ to the Children of God. They became the most vile group in Christian history. They were involved in child molestation. They were involved in prostitution. They were involved in every evil thing. The very thing God said would happen, happened. I was with the original family, the Berg family. I knew the children. I knew him and his wife. I would have been a top lieutenant in that organization if it hadn't been for the mercy of God and the praying of my mama and God speaking to me. I know what I'm talking about. I look back on that time and I said, thank you, God, for your mercy. 
Relationships. You be careful of your relationships, even in the attitude that comes into your life. Secondly, there's, there's the problem of not only in relationships, but there's transference and countertransference. You say, what does that mean? In counseling, you'll notice that this is a dynamic that happens. You have to be careful about it. Let's suppose you're a man counseling a woman, and all of a sudden she's sharing all her deep hearts and concern and things that have happened. And, and you know, a woman really enjoys having the attention of a man who is caring for her. You know that. It should be a husband doing that, but most husbands are blind to the needs of their wife. And all the women say, all right. <laughs> and so, so what happens, it happens all the time. It's what's called transference. The woman begins to transfer the love she has for her husband to this counselor. Where it really gets bad is when the counselor begins to feed on this affection and he transfers the love he has for his wife to this counselee. That's called countertransference. And then sin happens. That happens all the time. Happens on the job when you have somebody, oh, just wants to hear everything. Oh, you're so wonderful. For men, that just feeds their ego. My wife doesn't say that. She just says, take out the garbage. But you, you know, she, you're so wonderful. You don't know you're getting set up. There's another dynamic that happens in relationships. It's called projection. There are two kinds. They're psychological and they're spiritual. Let me tell you what psychological is. You all know it if you've done psychology. I did my doctorate in pastoral counseling, so I'm aware of a lot of this stuff. Projection is when, when somebody does evil but projects it on somebody else, blames somebody else. And what happened Never forget a couple came to me for counseling years ago, and the husband said, my wife is committing adultery. Well, so I spent time with both of them, individually and, and together. Come to find out, the wife hadn't committed adultery at all. You know who had committed the adultery? The husband did. He was projecting on his wife his own sin. Now, everybody listen to me. We all know that kind of thing that happens, but there's a projection spiritually as well. Let me tell you how it operates. Years ago, I was doing my doctorate, and I was writing this dissertation on demons, the first of its kind for the, one of the leading seminaries in the United States. And um, this lady came. Her name is Roxanne Branch. She had a healing ministry way back in the early 70s. And I'll never forget, she stood in my pulpit, and she said, I was in one of the leading churches in America. She said, um, I sat on the platform, and there I was sitting, and all of a sudden, all these horrible sexual thoughts came to my mind, and it freaked me out. And I cried out to God. I said, God, what's going on? And God spoke to me and said, that's not coming from you. It's coming from him. And I turned, and it was the pastor. Now, let's stop right there. If you're having horrible sexual thoughts, don't go blame it on the pastor. <laughs> and don't go blame it on the person next to you. Amen. It could just be you. But I, I thought, wow. So she, she goes on. She says, I didn't know what to do. So she got up to the pulpit. She didn't say what was going on. She just prayed, and she bound that spirit. The moment she bound that spirit, the pastor got up and left. She didn't know it, but while she was there, that pastor was having an affair, and it went real bad. He lost his church. He lost his marriage. He committed suicide. 
And listen to me, friend. There are evil things that happen in this world. You don't have to have it happen to you. Relationships. There's one, one final thing with relationships, and that's archetypal defilement. You say, what in the world is that? Let me tell you what it is. What it is is when a whole nation is defiled. You'll see this in Germany during World War II, just prior to World War II, when Hitler came to power and, and, and convinced an entire population that Jews were useless eaters. And they could be eliminated, and six million were killed. You say, oh, that never happened in the U.S. It's already happening. You say, what are you talking about? Listen, you cannot even watch a movie without being inundated by sexual sin. Did you know back in 1991 there was a survey done on homosexuality? Are you aware of this? And it was done by the American Family Association Journal. And only 17% of teens were comfortable with homosexuality in 1991. The same survey was done in 1999. Only this time, 54% of the teens were comfortable. And I would dare say it's way beyond that now. You can't watch a commercial without them throwing in something. You are being manipulated. So the first way the enemy uses is relationships. Everybody say relationships. The second way is exposure to evil. And there's two ways the enemy uses evil and exposure to evil. First is vicariously. Everybody say vicariously. You say, that's a big word. What does it mean? It means you don't do the evil, but you watch it being done. A sewer pipe from hell has now come into every home and on every phone. You can watch all manner of sexual evil. You can watch all kinds of violence. My wife was uh, just in San Diego over a week ago. That's why she wasn't able to come on this trip. And there was a young man who was playing the drums, and he was, she was fascinated because he was very good. He had an earphone on, so she couldn't, she couldn't hear what he was listening to. So she said, listen, is it all right if, if I can hear what you're hearing? Because I'm really fascinated by how good you are as a drummer. He took the earphones on, put it on her head, and here's what he was hearing. Kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself, kill your mama, kill your daddy. That was the song. You don't have a clue what's going on. You wonder why people with guns shoot up students. They're getting in their spirit evil. It's happening all over our nation. You sit there and you watch evil through porn and you think, oh, it's not hurting anybody. It's just rearranging your brain. Did you know porn is as strong as any drug? has the same effect in your brain, and it captures you. And the tragedy of it, it changes, your changes the nature of how you relate to people. People now become things rather than people to love. They become things to use. And it's evil. It's from the very pit of hell. And we go, well, we're not doing anything. Now let's stop here for a moment. I want to think about this a second. If I'm over here beating on Pastor Alex... I'm just beating on him. And you all are watching it, but nobody does anything. When the police come, did you know they'll arrest me, but they'll also arrest you because you're an accessory to the crime. You didn't do anything to it. Now listen to me. Every demon in hell knows that. And if they can get you to compromise and see stuff that comes from the pit of hell, you might think it's not hurting anything. 
You are literally giving rights to your mind and to your life to demon power. They will bring sickness. They will bring poverty. They will destroy you. It's vicarious. I go on for hours on that subject. But let me move on. Second way we have exposure to evil is by personal hurt. That means you've been hurt personally. It may have been when you were a child and you were abused or something happened to you. I could tell you story after story, but let me tell you one that's very close to home. My wife and I were driving home one day. She was driving. She's an excellent driver. I'm a horrible driver. I learned to drive in the Philippines. You know, the white line, the defi- the, you know, that, that's just decoration. I, we've driven on sidewalks, stop signs. There's no such thing. You honk your horn and you go. Hallelujah. Stop lights, stop signs. It doesn't mean a thing. That's how, where I learned to drive. So don't follow me in my driving. Praise Jesus. Follow my wife. She's very good. She was driving home that day. We were on a two-lane highway. And a guy came up behind us. She saw him in the rear of her mirror. And he came real close to her back bumper. So she's just being real considerate. She moved over to the side of the road to let him pass. And when he passed, he gave her an obscene gesture. My wife got back in the road, and I'm just minding my own business in, in the shotgun seat there. And All of a sudden, I hear my wife say this, God, kill him. Just kill him. I go, go, whoa, baby. I mean, she was mad. It so so shocked me. Well, I figured, she'll get over it. No big deal. That's just her expressing herself. Well, I got home, and it wasn't going away. I got nervous. I started praying. I said, God, where'd my wife go? And the Lord spoke to me. If I didn't experience this personally, I wouldn't have believed it. He said, she's been defiled by the anger in that man. You bring her to yourself, lay your hands on her and break that defilement. I said, honey, come here. She came. I laid my hands on her. I said, in the name of Jesus, you foul defilement, be gone. Just like that, she was back. My beautiful wife was back. And I thought, Jesus, how many people in the church have been defiled by stuff and they're carrying that defilement? That brings me then to the third thing, defiled places and objects. I can go on in hours. Let me just tell you one story. And it really comes, you remember the story in Acts chapter 19 when when, um, uh, Paul was working and he had... He, he would wipe his brow because he was a tent maker and, and he'd lay the thing somewhere as a handkerchief. Somebody'd steal it and go put lay it on somebody and the demons would be cast out and you know, they'd be healed. Remember that story? Well, that's a dynamic principle, but it's not only in the spirit of God, it's also in evil spirits. You understand that there's objects that reflect demonic power. I was called to a home late one night, and it was a cell leader calling me. He said, Pastor, you need to get up here quick. The whole family's experiencing a demonic episode. And I said, oh, great. Those are not the kind of calls you want in the middle of the night. I got in my car, drove up there, and sure enough, the, the kids were whacked. They were screaming. It was just a, it was a, 
it was a madhouse, and I, you know, I just tried to bring some order, so I told the wife, come sit here. And my husband was, was standing there, and I sat next to the wife. I said, let's pray. I began to pray. And while I was praying, the Holy Spirit said, ask her this question. So I finished praying, and here's the question I asked, very unusual question. I said, do you have anything in this house from a witch doctor? Now that is a weird question. Her eyes got big, and she said, yes, I do. I got a vial that was given to me that I bought from this witch doctor. Her husband knew nothing about it. You could have knocked him over with a feather. I said, I think it would be a good idea to get it out of the house. We smashed it, we burned it, we buried it. And I realized I could tell you story after story. People carry paraphernalia of stuff that's defiled. You've had relationships that were ungodly relationships, and you still keep the trinkets of it. A friend of mine came and shared the story of a, a godly woman who ended up committing adultery with this guy. And he couldn't figure out how in the world could she have done that. And one day he came over to her house trying to encourage her to come back to the Lord. And, and for some reason the Holy Spirit said, let me see that bracelet on your arm. And she showed it to him. He said, you need to take that bracelet off. She said, no. Well, one day she took the bracelet off. That bracelet was demonized. It was the means by which this man would come into all the sexual relationships he had. He had a demonized bracelet. He'd give it to the girl, and this girl would then begin to have an affection for him. Listen, we're not playing with little trinkets here. This is real stuff. And if you're dumb enough to allow the devil to destroy you, you're going to end up in hell. Now let's stop it. Smile at me, I'm preaching good. I go on for hours, I gotta stop. Because I wanna tell you how you can be free. How many wanna be free? Say amen. My time's running out, there's a group of people waiting to come in. You say, Pastor, what do I do to get free? Well, I got good news for you. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Oh, when Jesus, we overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb. There's no way we can become free of defilement ourselves, but the blood of Christ. So we have to apply the blood to our lives. You say, how do we do that? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The first thing is we need to confess. Everybody say confess. Yes. What does that mean? Well, the first thing it means is that we need to expose the evil. Did you know I, I've traveled in different places and invariably I've had experiences where you're just turning the ch channel and all of a sudden something comes out at you that you didn't plan to see. And you know, I will not allow that to stay in me. The moment that happens, I'll call my wife and I'll say, honey, this is what happened. Pray for me. You say, you're crazy. No, I'm not. I understand what faces me. And I will not allow that to rob me. I will not allow him to cause me to be ineffective or worse yet, try to demonize me. I'm very transparent, very transparent. Expose it. Secondly, repent. 
of those things you've done that have hurt others, your attitude. Confront those who've hurt you and forgive them. You can be a blessing to them by doing that. Let the word of God cleanse you. Ephesians 5 says to make the word makes you holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Let just fill your life with the word. Get into the house of the Lord. Because what happens when you get into the word, there's plenty of lists where you can examine yourself by the word. You can grow in the word. You can say, the Bible says this is right and this is wrong. You can check yourself. Thirdly, pray and be prayed for. Have people lay hands on you, just as I did for my wife. Protect yourself and those you're responsible for. I can tell you story after story of children that have been abused because the parents didn't know what was going on. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. And people that hang out in evil and think, well, I'm not going to get burned. See how close I can get to evil without getting burned. You're dumb. You've already lost it. You flee evil. You pursue righteousness. You find yourself in the house of the Lord. You find yourself in a life group. You find yourself growing in God. Finally, you embarrass it. You embarrass evil. I close with this story. I was going on a two-trip, two-week trip of ministry. I take a vacation about four weeks a year, and I preach my brains out. You say, why do you do that? So that I have money to give beyond my ability to give. My wife and I give over 100000 every year. And I don't make that kind of money. I have to believe for supernatural money to come into my hands. And I've gone to places and I paid my own way. i never forget, I went to, went to a church in New York. I paid my own way, paid my airfare, paid my hotel. I preached. You know what? They gave me a Coke. That's all I got was a Coke. I should have kept it and put it on my shelf. But I was thirsty, so I drank it. <laughs> and then I've been to places where they've blessed me so huge, I'm embarrassed. God's no man's debtor, and I'm, I'm able to give thousands. I don't have to do that. I choose to. You're listening to me. So I was on a two-week meeting tour. I was going to be preaching some of the major churches in America. Flew into California to preach on a Friday night at one of the largest churches in California, and I'll never forget I got there just in time to get to the service. Went to the hotel, put my stuff away, and got dressed and went to the service. After the service, the pastor took me out for dinner. I got back to the hotel about 12 midnight. I'd been gone all day flying, and I thought, well, you know, I I like to pray over the news, so I turned the news on while I was getting ready for bed. And while I was moving the channels to get to the news thing, I I saw something. It was a momentary thing. It it seemed like it was pornography. I thought, I wonder if I saw what I saw. So I moved back, and sure enough, there was pornography coming into my room. I thought, man, I didn't. Did I push the wrong button on this thing or something? And so I turned the TV off, called down to the reception. I said, hey, I said, there's, there's pornography in my room, and I didn't ask for it. He said, well, let me check something out. So he checked, and he called me back. He said, is it still on? Turned the TV on. There it was. Turned it back off. This time I went down to the front. I said, hey, you come up to my room. I want to show you what I'm talking about. And he marches up there, turn the TV on, and there it is. I turn it off. He turns to me and says, you know, you're the only one in this hotel complaining about it. I said, it's wrong. He leaves the room. It's about 1230 by now. 
And I'm left there all by myself. Nobody knows what I'm experiencing. And I'm going to tell you, the devil spoke to me. He said, ah. he said, it's not your fault. You can watch that and it's not your fault. It's the TV's fault. Lying devil. You want to destroy me. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me. I mean, if I've ever heard him speak, he said, remove every vile thing from your eyes. I had a choice. I remember standing there. And the TV was one of those big TVs in the cabinet. And I hooked all the, the knobs. I pulled that TV out of that cabinet. I mean, it was big. I went over to the door. Grabbed that one. Opened it. And I threw the thing in the hall. Shut the door. Went to bed. Hallelujah. Oh, I had a good night's sleep. Next morning, I was awakened by a knock on my door. It was the TV repairman. He said, I heard you had a problem with your TV. I said, yeah, it had pornography on it. He looked real strange at me. I checked out of that hotel, wrote a little note to the manager, told him how saddened I was by what happened. And by the time I got to my airport, the airplane, he'd called and said, I'm very sorry. I knew what was going on. The devil was trying to derail what was about to happen in those two weeks. Now listen to me. Hear me. You have no idea how great God wants to use you. But if you'll walk holy, you'll break off every defilement. God will use you. I want everybody to stand to your feet. Quickly, quickly stand to your feet. I want every head bowed, everyone praying, please. With every head bowed, everyone praying, you might be here saying, Pastor Morocco, if I were to die today, I don't know for certain whether I'd go to heaven. Listen to me. Heaven's real and hell's real. So how do you know hell's real? Because Jesus said so. He said it'd be better for you to cut off your arm and cut off, puck out your eye than go to hell. You know it's real because we have a justice system that if somebody breaks our law, we send them to jail. Where'd we get that from? I'll tell you where we got it from. We got it from a just God who has a law. When we break it, we have eternal consequences. You say, Pastor, I don't know for certain if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. Pastor, would you pray for me? If that be you, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because today's your day of salvation. One, two, three. Raise your hand. You say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Yes, back there. God bless you. Bless you. Amen. You can put your hands down. How many say, Pastor, I used to serve the Lord, but I drifted away. I'm not where I should be. I need to make a new com commitment in my life to Jesus. Pray for me, please. Pray for me. That be you. Slip your hand up right now. Quickly, yes, so many raising their hands. Everyone in the auditorium, would you lift your hands with me as a sign of surrender to God. I'm going to pray for defilement to be broken off in a moment. But before I do that, I want the blood of Jesus to wash you today. I want everyone to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I surrender all that I am to you. And from this moment on, I choose to follow you with all that I am. Thank you for loving me. Thank you that your blood washes my sin away. Thank you for rising from the dead for me and giving me eternal life.
Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Now leave your hands raised and just begin to praise him. Just praise him right now. Praise him right now. Shabbat. 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 Spirit of the Lord. Come in power. Come in might. I want every person in the house. You've been defiled in some way. It may be through relationship. It may be some exposure to evil, whether you were hurt as a child or whatever it is or even stuff in your own home and you don't understand what's going on. I want you to step out from where you're standing. Make a line right here. I'm going to lay hands on you. My pastor's here going to lay hands on you. God's going to free you today. Quickly come. Quickly come.
Because the enemy has tried to defile and has worked effectively in doing it. But God is raising up. He's raising up a, a people who are washed and cleansed by the blood, living holy, righteous, and pure. If you can get the church defiled, it'll have no power. Not here. Not doing that. There's a number of people here you're struggling with suicide. I speak to that foul spirit in the name of Jesus and I command you to shut your mouth. I bind, gag, and muzzle the voice of suicide over these. Depression, anxiety. Those online, you're online, lift your hands. Just a moment longer, service is over. Come on, lift your hands. You just need another touch from the Lord, whether you're up front or not. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke every assignment of defilement. Sexual defilement, anger, rage, greed, in the name of Jesus. We break your hold off of these people now. And all those that will listen at a later date, in the name of Jesus, be free by the blood and the authority of his name. Be free from a pornographic spirit. Be free from that. Be free. In Jesus' name, God, we thank you for what you've done. Let me bless you. Don't miss tonight, 6 o'clock. Bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us, God. Keep us. Give us peace. We love you. God bless you. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.